Heavenly Father, God, all of us are in need of grace today. Whether we feel it or not, God, we are in need of grace and mercy from you. And God, I pray we would experience that. God, would you do a work in our midst? I'm, I'm asking you to do a work in our midst that we would show grace and mercy to one another today. For, for those of us who feel our need for grace and mercy really heavily today, God, I, I pray that they would experience it through you and through your word and through the people next to them. God, I, I pray we would experience your mercy today. God, for those who feel like we're good, I pray we'd be overflowing with grace and mercy for those around us. But God, more than anything else, I pray that we'd meet you and hear from you and and look more like you because we were here together today. So God, I'm praying that you would work in our hearts so we'd hear. And God, you also know I need your help to teach. I don't, I don't want to come up here and try to teach without your help. So God, I come to you and I just, I just honestly ask, would you help me to teach your word accurately? Would you use this teaching time to do something I can't do on my own? Would you use it to change hearts? God, we're asking that you would do that. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you, you may be seated. Um, Listen, I'm really glad to see all of you here today, and I'm, I'm still adjusting to non-mask wearing. Can I be honest about that? Are y'all, are y'all good? Okay. I think y'all are too. Uh, here's the thing I'm adjusting to. I got used to not seeing your faces for like a year, uh, and so I couldn't tell if you were bored or angry or asleep. Um, why are those the only three options I pick? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I just couldn't tell. Now that I'm seeing your faces, they're beautiful, by the way. Please don't be offended. But I don't have to adjust to, be able to, to fully see everyone's faces as I'm teaching. And uh, I like it. It makes me really happy to see all of you, to be around you. I, I just want you to know, church, I, just, I really do love being your pastor and getting a chance to serve you and pastor you and getting a chance to teach you the word. Uh, I love it, and, and I consider this a huge privilege to get up here over and over and over again and teach you the word, and I, and I also consider it a huge privilege to be able to know you and walk alongside you in the things that are happening in life. I, I think that's a, a tremendous honor that I hope I never get over, uh, and so I'm just telling you I love being your pastor, and I love you. That's what I'm trying to tell you, okay? Uh, my, you can, my wife can tell you I really stink at mushy words. That's as mushy as I'm getting, so let's move on, okay? Um, here's what we're doing. We're going to jump back into the book of Titus. We're in Titus chapter 3. We're in Titus chapter 3, and, and as we get there... Um, uh, I want to prep it while you're turning in your Bibles to Titus chapter three with this. It's a weird starting, but I have a Twitter account. I don't know if you knew that. Um, I have a Twitter account and I hate it. I hate everything about it. For some reason, uh, I get on Twitter on a regular basis and I just scroll and I read and it doesn't take long before I'm scrolling and I'm reading and quite frankly, I'm angry right? Like I'm frustrated. I'm irritated. I, 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 and I get so upset. I, I don't post cause that would make, make it worse. I get so upset. I shut Twitter off. I walk away. I'm saying, I can't handle these idiots anymore. I, I can't even, I can't even be online with these human beings and the things that they're saying. And I've got to go calm down. And probably about once a week, I have this plan where I'm saying, I'm getting rid of Twitter forever. I don't need it. It doesn't help. And so for some reason, I always talk myself off of the ledge. But, but, but I'm serious. It's almost like, I, I, it's like driving by a car accident. I know, you know how when you drive by a car accident, you have to look, right? Like you just can't not, just try it. Next time you drive by an accident, try not looking. Just try it. It's, you, you're going to start sweating. Like I got I to gotta turn my head. I got to turn my head. That's what Twitter is like for me. I'm driving by watching a train wreck happen 
all the time. Twitter for me is the place where intelligent thought and dialogue go to die and be transformed into some horrible monster. All right, that's, I'm just telling you how I feel about Twitter. Some of you, anybody here love Twitter? Like, Okay, maybe it's the people I follow. Maybe you have the secret to all the cat videos and dog videos and cute kids on Twitter, but I'm telling you, all I see on Twitter, all I see on Twitter is politics and religion. And, and not like the good kind. I don't know if there's a good kind of politics. Okay, we can just skip over that. What about the good kind of religion, right? Like you're seeing these guys and you see these politicians and you see the things that they're saying and all you can sit there is like, like what is wrong with you? I, I'm not surprised at how stupid it is. I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised at how bad the politicians are on on Twitter. I mean, I would expect that. I expect the game playing and the power trips and the caricatures of the other side and, and the, just the radical statements trying to get everyone else upset. I expect that. That's not what gets me the most upset on Twitter. Hands down, without a doubt, the thing that angers me the most on Twitter are pastors and church people. Did I get an amen on that one? Like, I hope you're not reading my Twitter account, right? Uh, but I'm just telling you, Hands down, the thing that makes me the most angry and the most frustrated is Christian leaders and pastors on Twitter. I mean, they, here's what upsets me. They're not much different than the politicians I see posting things on Twitter. Like, like to be honest, it sounds the same. It, it looks the same. It has the same frustration and aggravating thought on there and, and the, the same name calling and rhetoric and lack of thought and, and lack of care or concern from the other people. Twitter seems totally out of control for me. And you're like, oh, are we having a sermon on Twitter? Well, no, we're not having a sermon on Twitter. Here's what's going on. I, I'm looking at it. Here's what goes on in my mind when I'm on there. I understand why people are frustrated. But do y'all understand why people are frustrated? Let me ask it this way. Are any of you frustrated? Okay, good. Happy to, happy to see a few honest people in the room. Um, listen, I, I, we get it, right? Like when you look around at um, the way people think and the culture in the church and outside the church, it's maddening. Like it's totally frustrating. I, I get it. It's aggravating to see a country self-destruct. It's aggravating to see a church walk away from obeying and listening to Jesus. It's, it's, it's aggravating to see injustice happen over and over and over and over again. And then all the things that follow after that. It's, it's aggravating and it's frustrating. Like, and I get that. And it makes me ask this question like, I see why these Christian leaders get sucked into the vortex of raging on Twitter. I, I get that. But, but I, gotta, I gotta ask a question. Um, is that how we as Christians are supposed to be interacting with our culture and society? I get that it's frustrating around us. I get that the immorality is frustrating. I get that the power plays and the manipulation are frustrating. I get, I get that, that the crazy rhetoric is frustrating. I, I get that. But my question is, how are we as followers of Jesus supposed to interact when everything around us seems insane? Because to be honest, that's exactly what it's looked like, at least not for the last year. It's been longer than that, but things really ramped up this last year, right? Like it was like we had more free time on our hands. So let's go to Twitter um, or whatever else we were doing. Like it was just, it was out of control. And, and I think that Titus chapter three 
begins to address that exact question for us. Let me, let me tell you why. Let me review, review where we've been. Uh, in Titus chapter 1, uh, Paul's leaving instructions for this young guy, Titus. He left him on the island of Crete, and they planted a bunch of churches. He said, listen, man, I need you to organize these churches. So here's your first thing. Chapter 1, get the leadership squared away. Chapter 2, get the teaching squared away. Chapter 3, how do you live in the insane island of Crete? Like, how do you teach the people to live in the, the culture that you're in? That's what's happening in chapter 3. And, and just so you know, you ha- so you have an idea of what culture was like then, let me just give you a quick history rundown. If you're a history buff, you'll know more details about this. If not, just bear with me because you're going to be surprised at how similar it sounds to our life today. First of all, Rome's in charge. They're strong, they're powerful, they are world dominant. And when I say they're in charge, I don't mean that they're in charge by voting or by democracy. They're in charge by military conquest. They're oppressive and they're domineering throughout the entire world. And only citizens had rights. And even those were somewhat limited. But if you weren't a Roman citizen, you did not have rights. It was, there was oppressive taxation. The system was corrupt. Caesar was king and he did whatever he wanted. And he was more arrogant than you can possibly imagine. You think of the most arrogant political person you've ever seen in your life and you need to ramp it up because Caesar thought he was actually God in the flesh. Kind of cocky, right? And when you actually believe you're God in the flesh, you act a certain way. So that that was kind of the politics and the setting of the day. And the religion was basically this. Almost the entire known world was pagan. And not just like a little pagan, completely pagan, except for Judaism and this small little sect called Christianity that was beginning to pop up on the scene. Like they were all pagan. They worshiped tons of gods. And they might tolerate Christianity for a moment, But that tolerance was quick and short-lived and very quickly it turned to straight hostility and persecution. And listen, not persecution like, hey, we're going to make fun of you or laugh at you. I'm talking like the real deal persecution where they're saying, listen, we're going to beat you and we're going to throw you into prison and we're going to try to find a way to kill you. That type of persecution. Okay, so before you start saying we're persecuted because of taxes or whatever, like, listen, no, you, you need to think through this and understand the context that Christians were facing when Paul wrote this to Titus was one of oppression and one where they could get killed at any moment. There was no protection for their religious freedom. And not only was the entire culture pagan and very quick to turn on Christianity, it was also highly immoral. Listen, most large cities, part of their worship was they had cult prostitutes. You should know something. And I probably should tell you to do earmuffs for the little ears among us. But, but these cult prostitutes, that's how people worshiped. They would worship and go visit the cult prostitutes. And these, these uh, cult prostitutes, they were minors most of the time. They were male. They were female. It was very normal for a person to regularly visit prostitutes as an act of worship. That was a normal practice. So adultery, prostitution, homosexuality, and all sorts of awfulness were common, normal place in the ancient world. If you think the United States of America is immoral, you ain't seen nothing until you see what Roman culture was like. So it's pagan, it's oppressive, it's immoral. Not only that, but there's a whole lot of injustice because slavery was everywhere. Abortion was everywhere, but the way they did abortion was not the way we do it today. It was you had the baby and you left the baby outside and just walked away. That was commonplace. Adultery was commonplace. It was was violent and a brutal culture. 
And so when Paul is writing to Titus in Crete and he's giving instructions on how these churches are supposed to live in their culture, listen, it's, it's an awful lot like the United States of America in some sense, but it's also a whole lot worse. I, I think it looks like Twitter, <laughs> just to be honest. Um, that's how I got to Twitter in case you're wondering. And, and Crete was really bad. Titus chapter one, verse 12. Let me read this description. I read it to you over and over and over again. Look at how uh, Paul is describing Cretans. Verse 12, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. He goes on to say, that's true. That's exactly what they're like. So, so here's this Roman culture and Crete is even worse than the rest of the Roman culture. They're liars. They're lazy. They're evil. They just do awful things all the time. So, so how is Paul going to instruct Christians to live in this culture? Well, I'm glad you asked. Titus chapter three, let's jump on in. Okay. Here's his instructions. Remind them, that word remind them, the idea here is do it over and over and over again. Don't just tell them once, repeatedly put it in front of the church. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Now, listen. All right, uh, just reading that list. That doesn't sound too bad, but let me walk through it quickly so we make sure we're all on the same page. The very first instruction is like, I want you to remind them to be submissive to governing authorities and, and obedient. That, that word to be obedient also hops in with that. Here's what Paul is telling him. He is saying, listen, here's what you got to teach the, the people in your churches all the time, over and over and over again. They need to be submissive to all of the government officials who are in charge of them. Let me, let me say that again. They need to be submissive to all the government officials who are in charge of them. He, what's crazy, he doesn't give any caveats here. He doesn't say, except for the ones who are pagan. He doesn't say, except for the ones that you didn't vote for. Except for when they pass a law that you don't like. Except for when they irritate you. Except for when they're paying playing power games and manipulating people to get their way to get more influence. He doesn't say only submit to the good rulers. He says submit to all the rulers in everything they ask you to do. That the church is to have a submissive attitude towards the people that are in charge in government. Do y'all like that command? I, man, that, that'll rub you the wrong way. And, and he's saying this to a culture where those governing authorities would be very quick to throw you in jail and execute you, and they wouldn't even get in trouble for it. Man, I, I read that, and I think, man, the church is supposed to be submissive. <laughs> to, to be submissive. There's one exception, I think I can find in the New Testament, of when Christians are allowed to be unsubmissive, or let me say it this way, to be disobedient to the rulers in charge. There's one thing. When they command you to disobey God or sin. That, that's it. That's your only way out. Let me, let me read that verse to you real quick in case you're wondering. It's Acts chapter 5 and the Jewish Sanhedrin has just told the apostles, don't preach Jesus anymore. 
He did, they didn't say, hey, you can't meet in this area. They said, don't preach about Jesus anymore. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, here's how they respond. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. That, that's the one exception you get. It doesn't matter if they're jerks. It doesn't matter if they like you. It doesn't matter if they hate Jesus and everything that his word stands for. It doesn't matter how immoral they are. It doesn't matter how corrupt they are. As followers of Jesus, our command, our charge from God is to be submissive and obedient to all government authority. Uh, listen, I, I read that. And I got a couple that this will preach. I got to be honest with you. Uh, I, I read that and I, I start thinking about things like mask mandates. Uh, I, I'm going here. Okay. okay. So I need you to brace yourself. I'm not going to shy away from this. When the government gives a mask mandate, they didn't tell you to sin. They didn't tell you to disobey God. And what happened in the church let me say the churches across the United States was not what I would describe as submissive or obedient. And it's totally, uh, it's unacceptable. Now church, I'm not, I'm, I know some of you don't want to hear this right now. The, here's, the, here's the awesome news. I don't write this. Uh, I, don't, I don't write the news. I just report it. That's why, well, I guess that's not even true anymore. But anyways, I, I just, like, I'm not, I didn't write these verses. I don't have any other way but looking at this and saying that's clearly what God is teaching us. That when the government gets to make rules and things that we are to follow and be submissive to. Not rebellious, not cantankerous, not stubborn, submissive and obedient. And for some reason, it's my perspective, especially looking at Twitter, that the crankiest and most stubborn and most rebellious people are churches. We're the people of Jesus. We have a king that we submit to and our king says to obey our government rulers. Church, I, I think there's more to it than just that because he doesn't just say to obey them. Let me show you another verse. First Timothy chapter two, verses one and two says this. First of all, this is Paul giving instructions to another young guy that he's having set up some churches. I think it's in Ephesus. I don't remember. If it, no, it's, in, it's in Ephesus. Anyways, 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says this. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Pray for everyone in your area. I mean, pray for them. Pray for them like crazy. Beg Jesus for them. Like, like pray for all people, for the ones who love the church and for the ones who hate the church, for the ones who agree with the church and the ones who disagree with the church, for the ones in the church and the ones outside the church, for the ones that look like you and for the ones that don't look like you. You pray for all people. Then he said, but he adds more. For kings and all who are in high position, that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. Listen, it looks pretty clear to me that his call is for us to be submissive to all leaders and to pray for God to work in all leaders. I think that means that when Donald Trump was president, whether you liked him or not, 
Whether you liked what he said or hated what he said, whether you liked the way he acted or hated the way he acted, whether you voted for him or didn't vote for him, our job as followers of Jesus was to submit to his leadership and pray for him. And now that Joe Biden is president, whether you like him or don't like him, whether you voted for him or didn't vote for him, whether you like the things he says or hate the things he says, our job as followers of Jesus is to submit to him and obey him and pray for him unless they command us to disobey God. Church, it's, it's not even debatable. And the, the church, <laughs> the church has shifted somewhere along the line, right? Like depending on the church that you're at, when Trump is president, you're praying for him so he can stand up for Jesus. But if Obama or Biden are president, you're praying for him that he'll get out of the way so that Trump can get back in office. I don't think that's what this teaches. I think Paul is telling Titus to pray for Nero, the dude who's going to kill Christians left and right. And I don't think the prayer was, God, strike Nero dead. Church, here's my concern. I think this command of Jesus is for us. And I think it says this, when the church becomes political, when she becomes political, she picks and chooses sides of politics, not sides of justice, sides of politics. When she becomes political, then the other side of the political aisle becomes the enemies. And when the church has enemies, we treat them like enemies, like political enemies, instead of people we need to love and serve and reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is exactly where the church in the United States of America is at today. She's chosen sides of politics. She's making enemies of those who need the gospel of Jesus Christ for politics. It's sin. It's not okay. And as a church, if that is us, we must repent and change. We are called to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient to them. I know that's hard. Let me show you the next thing he says, because he has more. He says this, to be ready for every good work. Like in other words, he's saying, listen, it's like, it's like the church should be on the starting line. Like they are there. I don't know if you ever watched a track meet where they're doing the hundred meter dash. They've got those blocks stuck in there and they're on the, they're not standing there. When they're ready to race, they get down. I, I want to do it, but I'm afraid I won't get back up. I don't, I'm not going to do it, but they get down. They're on the line. They're, they're doing this. And, and as soon as that gun's getting ready to go off, the moment that gun takes off, they're ready to sprint out of the blocks because when it comes to a race like that. You don't have time to lollygag and say, I'll start a half a second later. Every half a second matters when you're on the blocks getting ready to start. And he says, remind the church to be on the blocks, ready to rumble when that gun strikes and there's a good work to be done. Let her be ready to take off out of the blocks and get after it. Like, like let the church be ready to do all sorts of good works. And I don't think that's just good works among herself. I think it's good works in her city, for her neighbors, for her unsaved coworkers, for those government officials that might be persecuting and oppressing them. He's saying, listen, you don't just teach them to be submissive and obedient to authorities. You get the church ready to go on and be after good works all over the city. Church, I, 
I know the first part felt hard, but I got to be honest. I, this part, when I look around this church, I feel like some of you are ready to get on the blocks. Like when I look around and we start talking about doing things for our neighborhood and we start saying, hey, we're drawing a circle around making community. We want to see every man, woman, and child in making community engage with the gospel of Jesus. We want to be their church. That's what we want. Right? And I feel like when we say, hey, let's get after it, I think y'all get on the blocks. I've seen you do that at Fall Festival and at Christmas and at Easter. I'm sure I'm going to see you do that for Woodlands Camp. Like when we say we're ready, you get on the blocks and you get on the blocks quick. And church, I love that about you. Like when we say we got to cook some hot dogs, y'all are out there cooking hot dogs. You will make snow cones. You will, I mean, you will bend over backwards to set up a football field for the dumbest event in the history of the world as long as you think it's going to be a good work for our neighbors. Church, this is you. Like I'm telling you, like I, I see this all over you and our job as leadership is to show us more and more good work so we can get in the blocks more often. But church, this is, this is who you want to be. Am I right on that one or? Okay, maybe I was wrong on that one. I don't know. Maybe I don't want, you got to convince me. Am I right on that one or no? Yes, y'all want to get after it. I think you want to see people saved and I think you want to see people served. I think it burns in you. I think you love it. And church, I love that about you. I, I think teaching that, that's easy. We, we got work to do, I know that, but you want to do the work. You are itching to hear that gun go off and say, I'm running that race. I'm running that race all day long. You give me whatever kids, whatever families, young people, old people, we don't care, rich and poor, let's do good works for people all over the city. You, you wanna do that. I, I believe that. I, I think here's one of the questions a guy asked I thought was really helpful for me in thinking through how a church should engage this. He asked this question, if your church shut down, would your city miss you? Would, would they be sad that you were gone? That's a powerful question. I think for too many churches, the doors would close and no one would even know. No one would say, man, they made a difference. Like we may have disagreed with what they thought on stuff, but dude, they made a difference in this neighborhood and for these families and for these parents and for young people and old people, they, they were engaged. We actually wish they weren't gone. That, that's a good question for us. That's exactly what Paul is saying. You remind them to be ready for every good work. But he has something else here. Let me show you verse two. Now he shifts from governing authorities and doing good works to, I think, dealing with some of the, um, the feistiness, a culture who doesn't want to submit to Jesus is going to show you. Here's what he says. Oh, man, this is basically all about loving people. Verse 2 says, remind them to speak evil of no one. No one. In other words, no slander, no gossip. And just listen. Is it me or is Tallahassee like a really crazy gossip city? Have y'all picked up on that? Like, oh, listen, oh, now we're good to go. I am loving this. Yes. This, listen, y'all help me preach. I'll, I'll roll up my sleeves if y'all are going to start talking to me. That's good. Yes, it is, right? Is it crazy? How a room, I mean, dude, rumors. My goodness, I heard, I didn't even live here. I was four and a half hours away and I would hear rumors about stuff in Tallahassee. And you show up in Tallahassee, I, I'll never forget, I, I had just taken the job here for Tallahassee. I was coming up here to North Florida and I, I probably taken the job, maybe it may be like a week and a half. And I started getting anonymous letters in my mailbox at home, handwritten full of rumors. So-and-so, have you heard about so-and-so? I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, 
what am I getting into? Like, all right, we're going we're gonna to gossip. All right, I see how that goes. I, good thing I can't write back. <laughs> um, but it says to speak evil of no one. That's, when you think about like the island of Crete and you think about a whole bunch of people who are evil beasts and always liars, how they would interact with you if they didn't like you and your message. And Paul's instruction for a church that's suffering persecution is to remind them over and over and over again, don't talk bad about them. That's hard. That's hard in person and online. Just in case you're wondering, every command for how you interact with someone in person also applies for how you interact with people online. They're not two different worlds. Y'all knew that, right? If you didn't newsflash, you should interact with people online with the same standard of how you interact with them on person. And that's intended to raise the way we interact online, not lower the way we interact on person, okay? Like, don't, please don't start talking to each other like it's Twitter. I cannot, I'll preach a different sermon if you do that. But, but right, listen, it, this, is an, this is an awesome thing for me that he's saying, speak evil of no one. He says, to avoid quarreling. You see why I talked about Twitter when I first got on here? To avoid quarreling. Listen, I, I know that there's false teachers that you got to deal with. There's wrong thinking that has to be dealt with. But we have to figure out how to deal with this stuff without speaking evil and without just arguing over and over and over and over again. Church, we, we wade in in these ways that just are deeply concerning to me. Let, me. let me tell you why. Let me read this verse to you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says this. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Church, we're supposed to be salt and light in the world and salt and light does not mean we're argumentative, belligerent, speaking evil about people. Salt and light means we're striving to be peace, be at peace with everyone, that we're loving, we're gracious, we're gentle. Let me, let me show you these other words, because he goes positive. It says to be gentle. That word means to be kind and gracious. He also says to show perfect courtesy towards all people. In other words, that you're supposed to interact. This idea is meekness and humble, to show humility towards everyone. So instead of being argumentative and, and speaking evil, we're supposed to be gentle we're supposed to be kind and gracious and we're supposed to um, be humble towards people. That, that's what that means, towards all people. Now, now listen, as you read that, does that drive you nuts? How, how do y'all feel about verses one and two so far? Good or bad? Okay, I heard a You feel meh. You feel meh about verses one and two. Probably guilty, right? Y'all feel guilty? It's okay. We're at church. I'm not supposed to make you feel guilty. That's my job. Just kidding. That's not, right? You feel guilty. Maybe you feel frustrated. You're like, come on, man. Like, do you want me just to lay down and let every lunatic take over our country? Am I supposed to be quiet about that? Is that what you're thinking? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. I'll save you on that one. It feels maybe naive. Naive. Like it's, it's pretty naive to sit there and think I should just be kind and gracious and nice to everyone. Like, listen, like I'm dancing through fields of flowers with, as a hippie and I'm putting flowers in all of your guns and then love will make everyone like me more. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Uh, listen, good news is either I'm totally misunderstanding what Paul is saying or 
we all somehow thought that Paul is naive and stupid. Paul, the guy with this attitude that flipped the world upside down. Listen, I don't think this means silence, but I think this means speaking with love and wisdom and integrity that is lacking in most churches today. So I would say this, there's something here that feels hard about it. There's something here that feels frustrating about it. And I think the answer for it is found in the next four verses. Verse three starts with this one word, four. Let me help you. Let me retranslate that word to help you understand. It's because would be how it be translated. Listen, you need to be obedient to your rulers. You need to be ready to do good works. You need to be nice to people, be loving to all people. Why? Because, and this is where I really like this passage, because of this, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's a brutal description. Let me tell you what he just said. Listen, here's why it matters how you love. Because at one point, do you remember this? Do you remember when you were far from God? Yeah, right? You remember what that was like? Uh, You may not have felt miserable. You may have felt great. But at one point, all of us were far from God and we were blinded to our sin and brokenness. I mean, we had no hope and some of us didn't even know it. Our hope was in all the wrong places. Man, we, he says, you know why it matters how you live, church? Because do you remember what it was like before you met Jesus? You remember that? Man, let me ask you, do you remember that? I want you to think about it right. I want you to remember life for you before Jesus. He's going to the gospel church. That's what he's about to do. Here's why it matters because of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus, the way we live in this city matters because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were without God. Listen, here's what that means. That because there was a time that we were without God, it should make us gracious and patient and thoughtful and not arrogant jerks. Because we know that we were without hope. None. Look there in verse four. But there's a turning point. There was before God and this turning point. But when the goodness, not the harshness, when the goodness and loving kindness, when that from God, when that showed up, when Jesus showed up, not with anger and rage and malice and disrespect, but with gentleness and mercy and this kind love that blew our brains. You remember that? You remember when you met Jesus and you realized how broken you were and you realized how patient he was? Y'all remember that? I remember it. Man, it was nerve wracking. And then he saved us, verse five. He didn't just show up and said, look at how kind I am. He showed up and saw me in my brokenness. I saw how kind he was. And then the dude saved me. And he didn't save me, not because of works done by me in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Like, do you remember when he saved you and when he cleaned you? That's the good news. This is what enables us to live good lives in our city. And this is why it matters. This is exactly 
why it matters. He showed up when we were without God and he showed us mercy and kindness and then he saved us and we didn't earn it and we didn't deserve it. We just had to trust and he grabbed us and he pulled us out and it says he did this. Look at this. He, he saved by his own mercy. Look at verse five there. It says, by the washing of regeneration. In other words, he cleaned me and made me new. That's what regenerate means. I was broken. I was away and far from God. My heart was hard and he shows up and he shows mercy and he cleans me and he makes me new. And this says, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And not just a little bit of the Holy Spirit. He took a whole big old bucket of it and dumped it on us. Like it says this in verse six, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. That is, that is good news. This, this is the good news of Jesus, church. The good news of Jesus is that we were far from God and he was insistent and he pursued us with love and grace and mercy and kindness and we didn't deserve it or earn it. He didn't look down in Tallahassee, Florida and said, let's look at all those filthy sinners. Oh wait, dude, Fias. Okay. Those dudes are filthy, but he's got, he's got some potential. I don't think I'll save that one. No, he looked down and said, dude, all y'all are jacked up. Every last stinking one of you. And it's bad, real bad. And I'm saying, why don't you get up here? Let me, let me come down to you. Cause you can't get up here. I'm coming down to you and I'm going to clean you and save you and make you my son and make you my daughter and make you my own. I don't need you to earn it. You got nothing to bring to the table. I just need you to trust me and let me clean you. So man, why would Paul connect right living to that good news? He, can, he connects right living to that good news because the way we live demonstrates that good news to our neighbors. And right now, Twitter ain't doing a good job. I think he also reminds us that because you know who's the best person to give mercy? Someone who's received mercy. You ain't never received mercy. You ain't going to give it. You just aren't. You, you don't have it in you. You can't give mercy if you haven't received it. So church, here's what I'm asking you today. You got all these commands. I just want to know this. When, I just, when you read verses three, four, five, six, and seven, is that your story? Hey, listen, I don't. Don't let being in church your whole life stop you from wrestling with this. Don't sit in that seat because you've been here for 20 years or 30 years. Don't sit in that seat because you're on staff here. Don't sit on that seat because whatever, because you're a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. Don't sit in that seat and ignore this question. Do you remember before God? Remember when he met you and showed you grace and mercy? Have you actually felt him clean you and change you and dump a whole bucket of Holy Spirit on you? Probably better words in there than what I used. You, you remember that? Because listen, if you don't, don't you leave this place, don't, don't you leave here and miss this moment that that's supposed to be true of every single follower of Jesus. You cannot obey verses one and two if you don't ex experience verses three, four, five, and six. Man, I know one and two felt heavy. I need you to dump the weight of that and I need you to run to verses three, four, five, and six because if you've experienced Jesus, one and two will flow out of you. You may need to be reminded, but you got everything you need to do that. Have you experienced that? 
Have you experienced something else? Religion or obligation? Maybe just guilt. Have you experienced the grace of Jesus? Don't leave here today without experiencing that. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Listen, I want to guide us in a time of response. And here's what's going to look like. I'm going to ask you some questions. And I want you to do business with God right there in your seat. In a moment, we'll sing a song. And when we sing, uh, we'll all sing together. You can respond by worshiping him. Or if you need to speak with someone, we'll have people in the back. We'll have rooms that you can pray in. Um, you can respond in that way. But let, let, me, let me walk you through a couple questions here. Have you been in church your whole life and never experienced that encounter with Jesus where he saved you and changed you and cleaned you? And don't let your pride get in the way of this. If Jesus is calling you to trust in him, you need to do that today. And he won't be mad. He'll be kind and he'll be patient. He will look at you with a smile with arms wide open and say, you're my son now. You're my daughter now. Get over here. He promises if you repent of your sin and just place your trust in him, he will do all of the work. And that's a lot of work. For some of you, that's not the thing that hits you. You felt convicted about the unsubmissiveness or the disobedience or getting wrapped up in politics instead of the mission. Listen, the good news is that Jesus is merciful and kind and patient. If that was you, if you felt convicted of that, would you just repent of it right there in your seat? Repent of unsubmissiveness. Repent of disobedience. Repent of worshiping the idol of politics. And just ask Jesus to forgive you and enable you to be ready for every good work. Maybe for some of you, is that moment we talked about Jesus making us ready for every good work. You're on the starting line. Listen, if it didn't convict you of those other ones, would you just take a moment and say, Jesus, help me to be ready. Show me the good works and help me to run the moment you, you show it to me. If you've been too busy with life, too distracted with your own self, your own issues, whatever it is is keeping you from being ready for good works, would you ask Jesus to lay those off when you get on the starting line and say, Jesus, I'm ready. You tell me to go and then you help me to go and I'll do it. Maybe you found yourself speaking evil of others or being contentious or feisty and quarrelsome. Simple, just repent. And ask him to make us gentle and thoughtful. Maybe he talked to you about something totally different. You just do business with him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we are reminded very clearly that there was a time that we were very far from you. And God, you, out of mercy and grace and just kindness, God, you... You came after us, and you came down to us, and you, you saved us. God, I'm praying we'd be a people that would experience the joy of that and the grace of that and the mercy of that. God, I'm praying we'd be a people that would walk fully in all of your love and all of your grace and all of your mercy. God, I'm asking that we would be a people 
that have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, I'm asking, would you help us as we leave here to, to interact with rulers in a way that reflects that good news? God, help us to do good works in a way that reflects that good news. God, help us to treat all people with dignity and respect in a way that accurately reflects that good news. God, make us those people. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen.